Hello and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarleth Regan. Our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. And across all Irishman Abroad podcasts on the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network, we like to promote and give a big shout out to Jigsaw.ie, an Irish youth mental health charity really close to my heart. At its centre is about conversation and equipping young people with the skills they'll need to survive in life and a pandemic. Their workshops, webinars and phone lines and team of experts have been travelling throughout Ireland for years now, helping thousands of young Irish people learn the mental health skills they'll need. Maybe you should have a look over there, jigsaw.ie forward slash now if you'd like to help them and donate a little something so that they can continue to provide these services during this difficult time. Well, this has been a crazy week for Irishman Abroad as we launch our third weekly podcast with Sonia O'Sullivan. Irishman Running Abroad is there in your feed for you to enjoy. And whether you are a former runner, a current runner or somebody that would just desperately love to give it a go now that going to the gym is a little more dicey, there will be something in this podcast for you. As Sonia O'Sullivan acts as my coach as I attempt to reach a level of running whereby I can take part in the Dublin City Marathon. That's the dream. That's the goal. And we're going to look at running from every angle possible, from nutrition to avoiding injuries, to the gadgetry, to the reading and the fascinating characters that have taken part in the sport over the years. Expect interviews and an awful lot more. That's an Irishman running abroad available now for free in our feed. But if you want to get the entire back catalogue of Irishman abroad episodes and access to our Friday show with Marion McKeown, an Irishman in America, the only place to do that is over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. And for the price of a pint, you'll get access to absolutely everything we do, including our comedy show, our monthly Irishman abroad comedy show. The online comedy club that I've put together has really taken off. We're headed for our third month of this and uh, Friday night's show was an absolute belter. Get on board. So typically, I guess I would be back from the Edinburgh Festival. But the shutdown of music and entertainment around the world is having a major impact on performers, including entertainers in Ireland and the UK, who typically spend their summers on the European and US tours but for almost two decades the Kansas City Irish Fest has brought Irish singers bands comedians and other Celtic entertainers over for like a three-day festival in early September and I was meant to go myself this year without the ability to host such a large-scale festival the organizers changed their plans and moved to a series of Irish-themed, locally-focused experiences that will be virtual and in-person, including two hours of a benefit concert that I'm really looking forward to, featuring live and virtual performances, as well as food and drink tasting and workshops on-site. This two-hour concert takes place on Saturday, September 5th at 7pm US Central Time. And I think you should tune in. You can tune in via their live stream anywhere and the proceeds will be distributed through grants to smaller Irish-focused groups, entertainers and others in the entertainment industry who are impacted by COVID-19. And our guest today, Monday, 
just like me, is a big friend to the Kansas Irish Fest. And I'm just delighted to have Mundy on the show. His story is truly extraordinary. I'm very, very lucky to have him because for a long time I've wanted to have him on the show, but we just haven't managed to link up. You won't be disappointed by this story. He's a fellow who survived an awful lot, come out the other side. And when we're in this difficult time, I guess those stories are even more valuable. I won't yap anymore. You're going to enjoy this one. It's the Monday episode of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Threego! Bundy, it's great to have you on Irishman Abroad and it's something I've wanted to do for an awful long time, believe it or not. And it's only through the Kansas Irish Festival that uh, brought this about. Ronan Collins out there connected us up. How do you know Ronan, first of all, and have you been out to the Kansas Festival? I have been there a good few times. Uh, firstly, I know Ronan, I was uh, not long into being a dad as I started meditating just to kind of, you know, tr- try and sort my head out because I, I was quite stressed at the time. And uh, after, or in the middle of one of these little close-your-eyes, sitting-down sessions, my phone rang and this guy said, uh, Hi, I'm Ronan Collins. Uh, I got your number from blah, blah, blah. And I was like, as in Ronan Collins, the, the radio presenter. And he said, <laughs> no, no, I'm a different guy. And um, he said, listen, I, I love your music. I'm part of the committee of the Kansas... Um, Irish Festival in Kansas City, Kansas City, uh, not being uh, Kansas, Kansas, and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's, it's an easy mistake to make. But uh, yeah, he said, uh, he said we'd love to get you over. And um, I was playing in Philadelphia, I think, a month ahead of that or something like that. And he said uh, I'd love to come and see you. So he came and saw me playing in this venue called the um, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, uh, same great, as me great I can names. never put those names on these things great go ahead I can't remember. <laughs> uh, something blue I don't know anyway, anyway it's not irrelevant but uh, anyway I, I struck up a great relationship with him and I ended up getting uh, invited to play the Kansas City Irish Festival and I'd never played at such a beautifully run well organised like it's a massive it's, I think it's the second or third biggest Irish festival in the USA so but I just I, I was invited into this amazing community of people yeah. who were very helpful and very just very upbeat people, very enthusiastic and not um, rock stars amongst themselves, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, the ego, ego wasn't that, that uh, evident around the place. So it's great. Listen, you bring up something there that uh, I've heard you mention before, and it was about meditation and how 
there's something peculiar happens with it. I'm a big advocate of it and I probably bore the listeners a little bit with just just how much I believe that it is the cure for whatever ails you. But there is a weird thing with it that I find things fall into place afterwards. Now, the phone call from Ronan is one example, but I believe you've other examples where suddenly things start to just work out or make sense, whether it's songwriting or actual just career stuff. Is that correct? Well, I always, I'll definitely say one thing is that nothing bad happens after you do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you could imagine, you know, when someone says, uh, have you ever played, what's that game, Texas 52 or the where, you, where they throw all the cards all over the floor and you're like, oh, thank you for that. I have to pick them up now. <laughs> when you meditate, if, you're, if your mind is a little bit scrambled like that where all the cards are all over the shop, I find that the most important things end up at the top of the pile, you know? Um, so when you come out of it, you can kind of go, do you know what? I have to call that so-and-so. He's wrecked my head for the last two weeks mm. or two years or whatever it is. Or I need to pay that bill or I need to um, look at myself and go down to the gym or whatever it is you need to do. Uh, I find meditation does actually file things correctly a little bit. We have to do it often. And it's, it sounds harder than it is, but it's not really that hard at all. Mm. Um, but, but definitely before gigs, I found that I, when I spend that 15, 20 minutes on my own, that I'm, I'm way more mellow. I don't play things so fast. Like, it's great to have a nervous e- energy before you go on stage, but sometimes you can actually... You could just fly through songs when they're actually meant to be at a nice pace, mm. a little bit more groovy and all that. Probably like telling a joke or a story. Uh, if you're like, and you're forgetting that there's a rhythm to this actual <laughs> yeah. thing that you're telling, you know. Yeah, so and I actually find, the beauty I, is in the in the silence. Yeah, so I actually find that it's great for all that. And yes, um, when, I, when I got really into the swing of it, I found that contact wise, I made my last studio album with the guy who made my first studio album 20-odd years ago, a guy called Youth. And um, I believe that my meditation uh, sessions somehow set me up in, in a situation where I was tuned into him coming back to Dublin. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. Took a gamble on going to see his gig, and he invited me to make another album. And uh, he's really, really a well-known producer. Mm. Produced Verve and Pink Floyd and McCartney and loads of different bands. And... Uh, so I think that if, if I wasn't doing the meditation, I wouldn't have tuned into the fact that he was going to town and all that. So there's, you know, there's no harm in doing it. It's basically, uh, as they say, it's like um, getting free interest on yourself, you know. Mm, and, uh, you know, there is something in what you're the kind of start from where you are element to it for me. Certainly that thing of, well, I can only begin with this. And oftentimes, and particularly in lockdown, the head is off somewhere else, whereas reconnecting it to your feet is exactly what is needed. Now, when you made that first album with him, I don't imagine you were meditating back then, but you probably weren't as stressed out as you were when you found it. What do you remember of that guy who made that album? Well, so uh, of me or him? Of, of you. Oh, yeah. So basically, I was... I grew up in Burr, a very small town, 4,000 people, grew up in a pub, a pretty wild place to grow up in that. <laughs> the hours weren't great, we didn't have a very, uh, we had no routine at all in our life. But 
eventually, anyway, I, I got into playing the guitar when I was about 14, and I just fell madly in love with it. Anyway, moved to Dublin when I was 17 on, on a mission to get into the music game, but not really as a, as a singer-songwriter, not as the lead guy in the band. I, I just wanted to be part of a band. But... Um, after getting my heart broken, I wrote a couple of songs and I started playing them at a few open mic nights and they started going down really, really well. And very soon after that, there was actually, this was before emails and stuff like that, so there were, there were scout, talent scouts floating around uh, cities checking out people. So, yeah, I, I was being checked out on unbeknown to myself. Hmm. Anyway, eventually I, I, I trusted a couple of people and uh, they said, listen, it's time to make your first album. Would you like to meet youth? The producer, he's one of the guys. So I met a few guys, and you know, you're kind of sussing them out on on their track record sonically, and then you're trying to suss them out whether you could actually stay in a room for two weeks with them. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a massive thing. And there was probably some people really, really talented that I just didn't get a vibe off of. You know, I was kind of going, "Geez, this guy's." I'll be making his record, not my record. Mm. You know, so. But I ended up going over to Youth's house. He lives over in uh, Clapham. And he had a house in Clapham Common, and uh, I do remember saying this before. Over his toilet, he had the uh, framed cover of I don't know if it was the Star or the Mirror or the Sun or one of those uh, red top papers, and it was the day Jimi Hendrix had died. And I just thought this guy really feels the music, Stuff, and yeah. that, that was a big, big thing for him, and big thing. And I was a massive Jimi Hendrix fan as well, so. Just his little, a few little things like that, and he had a very, so, he's very soft-spoken, lovely energy. He just kind of said, "You know, mate, it's going to be great. You've got great." So he just, he made me feel good about myself, which is a massive part of uh, any connection with anybody. You know, yeah. Uh, you- if they make you feel good about yourself, you start believing in yourself. You know, if it's the other way around. It's like, well, okay. Do you like talking about yourself? No, but I got used to it. Um, <laughs> people say that I interview pretty okay you know and um i don't know i got used to it i mean going back to where how i grew up you know i grew up in a pub in the country so uh from the age of 14 that's when i started playing the guitar but from that age i was also stuck behind the bar pulling pints and half pints for farmers coming into town and stuff uh who'd sit there and they just wanted to talk because they couldn't probably drink so much but they bored the ears out yeah or some of them are funnier than others but I believe that that part of my journey has held to me in the interview sense. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So being able to have a conversation. Sure. Um, it's an apprenticeship. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my question was about, you know, that guy, that young lad who had the world at his feet and kind of had everything thrown at him, essentially. And, you know, the artist that you become and the you know the brilliant singer songwriter that you are now and i remember being 21 years old and more or less thinking i had it figured out like <laughs> you know it was just a matter of time and that anything good that happened to me i never thought jerry you're very lucky not everybody gets this i always thought i mean this is this is just one of a billion nice things that are going to happen to me in my life. Uh, Now, there's the other end of the spectrum with Irish fellas who uh, grow up with a certain Catholic and Mrs. Doyle sense of maybe I like the misery and that maybe this isn't going to last. Which of those were you? 
I, I was, uh, yeah, I think I was slightly abusive towards um, the amount of opportunities that I got. I kind of probably thought that, yeah, this is going to just um, keep falling off the tree, you know. Mm. And I did, yeah, I would say in my late 20s, well, no, see, it's funny because I've had, I would call my first album my first shot at it, and then that, my um, deal with the record label uh, didn't, uh, you know, it, it fell through after, I don't know, five or seven years, I can't remember, five years, I think it was, mm-hmm. and then I, I put out my second album independently, and that f- went really, really well, and I was very doubtful about that, and um, about putting it out, because I'd never done anything like that myself, that went really well, but I've kind of tested the energy of success a bit by being a bit of an ass you know by kind of staying up late and then arriving to a gig and not being in the best of shape sometimes and uh i've done many things many stupid things you know but uh, i do believe yeah you, you still you, you you really have to work for it now and catholic guilt or what did you say catholic yeah there's a certain part of you that feels bad i found anyway for feeling good that you know that I, I I nearly I self sabotaged myself a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely part of it. I I, I, I definitely there's that, and there's also the guilt of the success too, because I I would have you know I'm very tuned into people I grew up with and who I went to school with, and I always wanted to, I always want to be on the same kind of buzz as everybody. You know what I mean? I don't want to be too far ahead of the game. And uh, sometimes I go out of my way to prove that I'm more, you know, that I'm, I suppose, uh, not a step ahead of anybody. Um, um, yeah, there's times I felt kind of guilty for, for th- when things were going really well. And that's a very Irish thing yeah. in success, you know. It's, so. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's so counterproductive. I remember there being like lads that I came up with in comedy and, you know, I could feel off them that... You know, I worked hard. That was me. (laughs) So I I just bust my ass. I didn't think I was supernaturally gifted, but I knew that I'd outwork you. And that if I had an idea, I'd pursue it to its end. And, uh, you know, uh, I'd rinse what I could (laughs) from what was in front of me. But there was there was still probably in football and in the arts a sense that a certain kind of shame to that work that a fella who you know sure Jesus he he had a rake of pints and he still got up on stage and sure he'd be brilliant if he wasn't drinking was something that you know you you would aspire oh I wish I had that kind of talent that I could be you know half cut half the time (laughs) (laughs) that that fella was worth more than me for working hard do you know what I mean yeah, it's weird. I mean, I kind of got caught in that rut a little bit where I was staying up late and having the crack and playing, you know, sing, legendary sing songs after a, a great gig and then arriving to the next place and actually doing quite well the next night. And people, wow, I can't believe you're up at six o'clock. Hmm. It does catch up on you, no doubt. Um, but underneath all of it, there was never, there's no, I don't think there's any greatness achieved by being a slacker, you know? Hmm. You know, some songs come fairly naturally and fairly inspired and stuff, but the the majority of stuff you kind of have to labour over a bit. I don't think um, everything's just a walk in the park. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's, it's nice to... 
some yeah some I, I don't I don't think he can he can prolong uh, a career of um of being a legendary mad joke you know what I mean uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it just, and uh, often, oftentimes it's the presentation of that image yeah well that well, is, as, it, as you were saying that you have um, you would work it till the end I mean there's loads of people I know. When I say loads, it's probably a bit much, but there's a good few people I've seen rock on that image of complete mad jokes, and they're not at all. You know, they're just mm. coming on to get a bit of a wobble when they walk on the stage and they throw beer on themselves and, you know, start pretending they're, you know, so that's, that's I, I guess the Rolling Stones were to a degree, yeah. Pretty, pretty well, you know. So, it was an image. Uh, let me bring you back to, you know, the the Baz Luhrmann soundtrack, which you say was fortuitous in that the person that was putting together this Baz Luhrmann soundtrack uh, loved your your song, To You I Bestow. And, you know, that, like, as breaks go, it doesn't get bigger, right? It's it's the equivalent of being put, nowadays, for people listening to this who don't remember that film or even remember 1996, which, you know, was... Yeah, that was the movie, right? That was the movie. <laughs> this is like Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was the movie and the soundtrack to be on. And to the to the same extent that, you know, the Dandy Warhols were built on Vodafone, having your song on the biggest selling soundtrack in the world had to make your head spin from everything we've just discussed that I suppose now you think you're great is what the lads in Newbridge would say to me yeah. uh, when things happened well. Did you get any of that at that time? Where I thought I was the... Like, well, where you heard it from people that like, you know, that... that well, there was, one, there was one guy, <laughs> it was funny, I, I got a voice message on my phone. Mobile phones, I, I think I only got my first mobile phone back in 96, um, an Ericsson uh, <laughs> phone. But uh, I remember checking my messages. And there was a guy I used to go to school with. He had basically come out of the nightclub in Burr with a girl, and he left this message on my phone. Hey, Monday, man, just with this girl, uh, he said, um, I was telling her about the soundtrack and that we were in school together, and he, he said, um, is there any chance we can come into your pub for a late pint because our pub is across from the nightclub? And, and oh, no, oh, your, dad's, your dad said it's a bit late. So anyway, he had this pretend conversation with me. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So I rang off the next day, and this is all on the back of Romeo and Juliet, him saying that he was in school with me or sat beside me in school. So I rang him off the next day, and I was slagging him about it. And he goes, oh, it worked out well, though. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I don't know. But, but, yeah, the Romeo and Juliet thing, basically you would get an email, not an email, sorry, my, I'd, I'd rig my manager who was a lady living in Brighton, and I'd, I would say any news from the record label, and... Some some weeks she'd say no, and some weeks she'd say yes. And this particular week she said, "Listen, there's a, there's a, a soundtrack opportunity coming up. This could be a really big movie." And she mentioned a couple of the actors and Basil Orman, who I didn't really know about. Yeah, so Jesus, within within a couple of months, this thing had kicked off, and it was massive around the world. And um, I suppose I didn't have any American management at the time, so it kind of did, that didn't help uh, the situation because you would need somebody on the ground over there pumping out your single at the same time of the hmm. soundtrack. Anyway, so, so I, I, don't, I don't like to get uh, uh, too nostalgic about it either, hmm. about how it could have gone, you know, but, you know, that's that was a great opportunity. It, it Like, it had to be, you know, the bounce, you know, that everybody looks for. Like, you need the bounce of the ball. Like, you can be as talented as you like, 
but you're going to need a rub of the green. And we all know those artists and those comics and actors that are are, are striving for that, literally that that bounce of the ball. When when you when you then go ab- go about, you know, capitalizing upon it as the as the management would say, we got to we got to make hay here. I just want to know where your head was at at that point. Like, the, like what was the dream then? Like, like the certainly the ambition level must have gone up at that point. Yeah, I mean, I was. It was so busy. It was such a shock to my system. Like, literally, I went from playing in the international bar in Dublin every Tuesday night and a few other open mic nights around Dublin City to literally being in airports, planes, hotels on the move constantly for about three years flat out like you know and and I was busy after that too but I'm talking about there was three years of intense you know foot to the floor out gigging 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 shaking hands interviews how's it going not too bad you know eating out of uh, dressing rooms and off to bed and up again early and um, so it was overwhelming I was ambitious but I was also kind of a headless chicken as well going around the place and working on autopilot a lot of people would be working on autopilot if they're intensely touring and stuff i think i was i definitely was ambitious for sure and i took every single opportunity that was given given to me whether i stood back from it and kind of went hold on this is what we should be doing we should slow down there and speed up over there you know i don't know if i had that intelligence at the time so who's yeah. a, who's around you? Like I think that that's too much to ask. You know, I actually talked to a guy yesterday who, you know, talked about like NBA basketball players who, you know, go from much like the musician who go from being a nineteen-year-old student to being drafted. a dreamer. Yeah, a dreamer. A dreamer who more than likely comes from poverty gets into the NBA and suddenly has you know the keys to a fancy car and a nice house and is expected to make all these decisions well but yeah. that's just not going to happen you know like you're you've still got one foot in burr you've still got one foot on the street busking but yet you're in these big venues and being expected to have the savvy to navigate it like is it a blur when you look back on it and do you ever think about you know surely some there's a huge thing that people overlook as well, which is I, I never really kind of went. I never talked about it too much, but if your family's not happy for for some reason or another, if there's a family member not in good form or something like that, when you have all that money and offerings of success and mansions and soundtracks mm. or whatever the hell it is, uh, it's very hard to to um, function properly. You know what I mean? So if you have any heart at all, and say say, and it must be in in, I'd say one out of every two cases in, of a successful person uh, when they're when they're on a roll that something you know someone could get cancer, somebody could have mental illness, somebody could be in a car crash. I don't know, but loads of different things. But you still have to go out there and champion your image, and 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 but you're 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 functioning with a broken heart, so to speak. And that can that 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 never um, people don't really talk about that. They think that once that you get success, that you're rocking and you're free and your emotions are you know you get you, you get actually you get brand new you get a brand new uh, emotions as well with it. <laughs> yeah, and a shield from all of those regular exactly. family yeah, daily that, that's the things. One thing, yeah, a shield is the one thing you don't get. 
So were you going through that? Was there stuff in the background that we didn't know about? I suppose in in the beginning of it all, uh, there's a few people close to me, friends and family, where uh, I could see a little bit of um, things changing and stuff. And, um, you know, I I found it hard emotionally to cut myself off from it uh, when I would have been doing some important gigs and stuff. And then I also went through an anxiety thing as well separately but I, it's probably to do with that I'm not sure but uh, like panic attacks and stuff like that and you're kind of yeah how's it going? you know you're pretending that you're like bulletproof mm-hmm. and you're walking on you're, you just don't know where you are but um, and that's where that's why I kind of learned to meditate as well I haven't got experience myself of panic attacks but what I do so there you have it Mundy what a sound and decent man to have on the show and this episode is of course brought to you by the Kansas City Irish Fest and as I said they've just been bringing Irish singers bands and comedians over for their festival for for years now almost two decades it's an amazing festival and that event that they are running on September 5th really deserves your time it takes place at 7pm US Central Time a two hour concert featuring live and virtual performances and if you're in Kansas of course there'll be food and drink tastings and workshops and an awful lot more. I want to give a massive shout out to Ronan Collins for uh, making this episode possible, for getting uh, introducing me to Monday in the first place and for inviting me over to do the festival. I was gutted that I couldn't get to do it this year, but I guess there's bigger things at play. I hope you're safe wherever you are. And I hope that if you are looking for entertainment and if you do want the Irishman Abroad to continue, that you'll come over and join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and start enjoying the other two weekly podcasts that we offer over there, as well as our archive. Thanks very much to all of our patrons who make the show possible, to Brian Connolly, my producer, to Tina and Mikey, making it all possible. And of course, to Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner. Check them out this week.